G'day and welcome to the Hunter's Campfire Podcast. My name's Mark and along with good mate Ian, we're here to help with all things hunting. If you're looking to start but don't know where to begin, you want to make the most of your next trip away or even plan that hunt of a lifetime, we've got something for you. You'll find our podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon and plenty of others. And if you want more, head over to our YouTube channel, The Hunter's Campfire where we have plenty of how-to and hunting videos along with the full video production of every podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe, and good hunting. Uh, good evening, fellas. Uh, welcome to the Hunter's Campfire podcast, and uh, hopefully, uh, if I get the editing right at the end of this, it'll be our first podcast for 2022. So, Mark and Chris, um, thanks for joining us tonight. It's great to be here. Well, hang on. I'm always here. It's great to be here anyway. So, um, and it's great to have Chris here as our first one of 2022. What is it? It's like January the 5th or something? The 5th, yes. We're, we're keen, that's for sure. Um, so, yes, uh, 2022, lots of new things on the on the horizon, Mark. What have you got planned for uh, uh, early 22? Uh, I have I have actually have a list here of the 20 jobs I have completed on our stay vacation or staycation. Uh, one of them was to paint... The office and to actually finish off the walls and that wall too which i can't show you but i've got the fallow and the red and i've also got my about a four foot long um green saw fish rostrum you know the, the big bill with all the spikes on it mm. finally yeah, got that up cool. on the wall um you know dinosaur it'll be gone soon so i've got that up on the wall other than that, the next uh, – so I hunted right up to Christmas. Um, and you had a successful I, hunt right up. Yes, year, I did. A, a bank, yep. yep, yep, got one just before Christmas. Um, that was a hard, hot carryout, I tell you. <laughs> um, it was. It was a weird morning. Uh, it was like, you know, it was cool for some bizarre reason. I got there, heated up pretty quick, and um, that change in, um, you know, that, that from cool to hot – brought in a bit of mist and I was, I decided to go into the, the heavy bush block um, on this particular property and uh, spotted a red in there and um, I got it and in one of the shots, you can actually still see the mist above me, you know, it's, and, and, it, and it's not, you know, cold mist, it's humidity. Um, and it was a tough haul out too. I think I, I got there at 4.30 I think I shot it at 6.30. A.M.? Yeah, A.M. Because I try to beat the, the light. So I try to get up there before first light. So it's about 4.30 now. I uh, shot at 6.30 and I think I was in the local town having a coffee at 9. <laughs> Doesn't sound so bad, mate. No, no. <laughs> that sounds great. Five, four and a half hours, you know, of strenuous exercise before 9 o'clock. Yeah, uh, but anyway, got it done. And then, uh, so, and as you well know, as we have been discussing, uh, is uh, Pilliger. Uh, yes. Where uh, uh, Steely and I are heading down um, the last week of um, January. And I think we've located some. Rapid antigen tests. Good. Because I love how the fact that we have to get tested to come back. So I have to leave basically where there is no people, go to where there is people, <laughs> get a test to say, I'm okay. 
Well, I think you're fine now, Mark, with the RA test. Um, you just put it in your bag and take it with you. And That's then it. what you'll have to do is you can't you can't do your border pass until you're on your way home. Yep. Because we leave a week or you'll leave a week before, you know, for, you know, for a week. And you've got to do the border pass application within 72 hours of That's returning it. to say, yes, I've done that test and I'm COVID free. That's right. Um, so fingers crossed you don't pick any uh, COVID up from pigs and goats in uh, the Pilliga. Um, it could be a new strain going on, swine COVID yeah. something. Um, but yeah, we're going through we're going through the same process at the moment. The bizarre thing is, you know, to get that border pass, I'll have to go somewhere where there's Wi-Fi. Yeah, so that's my next question for the other guy planning a Pilliga trip, and that is, uh, does it have any form of service in there? No. Uh, generally, um, you get about three k's in from the Newell, and you're in black spot, which is actually kind of one of the reasons why I go there. Yeah, that's and what you want. You know, you are travelling occasionally. You'll be like, you know, when you're doing the big drive, you'll occasionally get the bing, like, you know, you know, email will re reset, but God knows where that is. Um, and I don't think on, well, I remember last time we went to Pilliga West, I didn't get any signal all the way from Pilliga East to Pilliga West, even though we went through a location. Not a town, just a location, a few houses. But I think um, Barradine further on down would probably have signal. So, yeah, we've got to go somewhere where we get signal to say that we've been, it's kind of like, we've got to go where there's a chance of getting COVID to say that you don't have COVID. Yeah, well, I'm taking the good old Telstra self-I-go and um, yeah. and six-metre mast that can go up off the back of the campus. So we might get signal. I'll let you know how we go, and I'll stash that in the bush for you to use on my way out because <laughs> yeah, you're following me a week later, right? Yeah, that's right. Just nail it to a tree. Well, yeah, that's right. It'll be fine. Please. I always found that. Fascinating kind of in between the first few lockdowns that we had in Victoria when everything like it, no one knew what activities you could and you couldn't do and what was covered under exercise and recreation, what wasn't. And I always found it fascinating that hunting was something that was prohibited in Victoria during those lockdowns. It's like you're saying that we can't go and leave everyone and go in the middle of nowhere by ourselves for weeks at a time that that's not OK, but put the cram me in a house full of people. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, we we sat up here and we sat up here in Queensland and watched a lot of that unfold, and we debated whether you were all nuts down there or what was going on. And <laughs> oh, um, the only thing we could come up with, of course, was um, for you to leave home and get to your hunting place. How many places did you stop, touch things, buy coffee, get yeah. fuel, yeah. interact with communities, and drag it into the regions, which was obviously yeah. something that we're trying very hard not to do and man there was so many arguments about it on socials and uh, you know interesting uh, yeah blokes being blokes or people being people will pick the eyes out of the rule to make it work for ourselves <laughs> yeah. especially when we're all so passionate about wanting to go hunting said exercise yeah it's exercise yeah. it's like yeah, this yeah. whole argument of it's for free meat Oh, come on. Like, <laughs> well, I, not, I, it's not free, the amount of money and time. That's right, yeah. There, there's absolutely yeah. nothing free about that goat. Especially <laughs> not when you're firing large-caliber rifles. Every time you fire it, you fill your wallet. You're like, oh, I just felt oh. that money leaving my wallet. I remember the – um, I think it was the end of the second lockdown, and uh, my brother and I had been wanting to go out for a hunt, and we packed the car, and we got locked down the, the night before we were supposed to leave. So we just left the car packed, rode out the lockdown, and we left at like 12.01 um, 
a.m. the second that we were allowed to. And I remember driving through Melbourne on the way to Mansfield and it felt like we were on like a NASCAR track because it was just open highways. There was just nothing. And we're just driving, but you know, the four wheel drive packed up with gear and the dog in the car. And it was just surreal driving out. It was like driving, Melbourne was like a ghost town. Uh, it was weird. Yeah, it's yeah, different parts of the country. It was just even up here, it was the same. You know, Brisbane went into lockdowns, but I'm 200 k's or so uh, west of Brisbane in a place called Toowoomba, if you know it. Um, yeah. And it was sort of like the hard line. Um, you know, any anything anything uh, up to the Toowoomba regional boundary was always impacted by COVID. And anytime there was a lockdown or you know whatever that area was was impacted but Toowoomba was always on the right side so we've really not been overly impacted by it but now you look at the cases and it's gone mad but hey let's not talk about COVID too much we're all over it right so um, <laughs> yeah. um the, one, the one thing I did want to talk about um really quickly before we kick into um to uh having a chat with you Chris um was I uh, just before Christmas um we, we've put a lot of effort into educating or, or helping our listeners um with certain parks and forests and and I guess a lot of the effort around New South Wales parks has been um, what parks are local to us that produce. So we've mm. sort of spoken about the Pilliger and we've spoken about Severn and we've spoken about Nundle and Hanging Rock and those sorts of places that you're probably not even familiar with from being down in the hunting mecca of Victoria. <laughs> um, but those are parks that produce that are close to us that we've got to hop the yeah. border to go and play. So we've put a bit of focus into those and we've had interviews with uh, with listeners that have hunted there and new people that have gone there and we've spoken about it a lot but not being able to get there well we were able to get there the other day and uh, just before Christmas I disappeared down there with a couple of um, people that had uh, either been on a podcast with us or or um, were part of a, a hunting club and we went down and we had a nice successful hunt um, chasing goats but again um, something that I'll raise uh, for those that are itching to get out there and they're going to get out there in the middle of the heat and, and storm season and all of those sorts of things this country is crazy right uh, you know I come from New Zealand it's always cold and you always prepare for cold and and that's fine but I left on a November you know or no it was December last week before Christmas um, it's a hot time of year for us you know we're expecting 36 degrees and we sweltered absolutely sweltered yeah. as you would expect but then it stormed and everything yeah. got wet because the storm was just so crazy in terms of how the deluge came down on us um, all of a sudden we were all cold and some of us didn't plan for being cold <laughs> and some of us maybe didn't even plan for water going through with a fly net on our tarps yeah. or on our on our on our, our tents you know setups so um i guess all i wanted to say was for anyone that's itching to get out there that's going to go and brave the heat don't forget about the elements that this place can throw at you because it, it can get crazy. And um, yeah. if you're not prepared, you can get yourself in trouble. So, anyway. well, we've literally just had a week of 40 degree days for about seven days in a row. And just today, thunderstorms raining all day. Um, just and it just shifted like on a dime. It's um, it's crazy. Keeps you yeah. guessing, keep on your toes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have you covered any of that sort of um, you know, all weather uh, discussion with your? with your uh, YouTube world? No, I haven't. And I actually have had a few people mention and ask about it. One guy in particular, actually, because um, I have a lot of new hunters that have um, subscribed to the channel that are watching the channel, which is fantastic. And a lot of that's come through just the time when I started the channel, as well as the boom of hunters that we've seen coming on board. since COVID. It's kind of a bit of a perfect kind of marriage of those two things. Mm. And so a lot of hunters are new and they're asking a lot of 
great questions that we take for granted as, as you know having hunted for a while that they just just don't know and one of the questions was um he was talking about how he hasn't been hunting because it's been raining and i said like mate right time raining is some of the best time to go out hunting i mean especially in victoria where it feels like you're walking around on cornflakes when it's super hot and crispy um and so what i think i want to do in the future is do a video on how you hunt in different weather conditions and mm. The behaviors of uh game uh that are that change and how they change and how you can take advantage of that and what like safety things what you need to consider um when it's super hot versus wet and crazy versus wind and just i mean because i don't think there is a weather condition that you can't hunt um you just need to be clever and smart about it and prepared and safe about it um and there's certainly some weather conditions like raining i, I love hunting in the rain I mean, I think some of my favorite hunts have been up in the high country where it's freezing cold and it's raining and it's miserable and it feels like the world is punishing you. Um, and then you, you know, have that opportunity moment where you get the deer or the stag or whatever it is and you feel like you're on top of the world. Um, and it's, yeah, yeah. I, I'm a bit of a sucker for punishment. So I feel like my favorite hunts are the hunts that I get punished the most. <laughs> yeah, I think Mark said it in one of the previous podcasts. It said, uh, you got to a certain point in life where you don't have to go out there and punish yourself anymore. There are some luxuries you're allowed to take. I think then we were talking about your bum cushion that you put in your pack and That's it, I go when you have it. Sitting on rocks. Um, I'm just getting old. That's all I was doing. Um, <laughs> but you're right about the rain. I mean, if you're hunting state forests, it's rain. That that's when the pigs come out. Yeah, yeah. It, they'll start moving. Um, yeah. Goats are really easy to hunt after the rain because they stink. Yeah. Yeah. No, you get a you don't you get a, a good downpour and, and it's and it's summer. Those goats, mate, they'll you you can smell them two kilometers away. They yeah. just reek in the rain. So you, you yeah. know it's um, and I mean and same with red deer. You know they stink after. Yeah. You, can, you can't even ask a goat to go and have a bath and get rid of that stink. I've got the door open. <laughs> I don't think I don't, I don't, I don't think they can do that. Billy goat out the door and it's been <laughs> raining and it stinks. And it's been perfectly yeah. cleaned and all that, you know, anyway. Whereas I feel like it's the opposite as a hunter, as a human being, is that the, the rain helps kind of mute your smell um, mm. and it helps mute your footsteps and makes the ground a bit spongy. And um, like, I just feel like there's no reason why you shouldn't be hunting in the rain. It's just, um, unless you're it's, a, a bit of a princess. Wet. Yeah, it's exactly, <laughs> it's just wet. And I mean, in the, in the high country, we're used to that. All of our gear is like super thick and water. Yeah. Like I'm, I don't think I've ever hunted in shorts ever. Um, even when oh, really? like I hunted recently in the Otways, which is yeah, strange for someone from Queensland or South Wales, seeing you guys out in your little stubbies all the time. But like even uh, my recent hunt in the Otways was on a 34 degree day, which is pretty hot in Victoria, and I was hunting in like a full kit. That's because that's what I've got and that's what I'm used to, and it was sweltering. Um, and something in my mind just can't hunt in shorts. I just really? see my white, my white that's legs. Oh no! I'll, I'll hunt in a in a you know um, you know a, a base layer thermal pants yeah. with shorts like most New Zealanders tend to do, and and that's not that's just because it's it's less restricted when you're yeah. climbing mountains and hills and those sorts of things. There's no restriction on your legs when you're trying to move, and that's really important when you're trying to stalk if you're into bow hunting and those sorts of things. But yeah, yeah. Um, that's you know, I mean everyone everyone does it different. But um, hey, so um, we've alluded to the fact that you have this website. And um, let's talk a bit about that for a second. But um, the reason we put this podcast together um, was to help Queenslanders that were struggling for ideas on how to go hunting um, could listen to this and find some ways to do that, be it yeah. um, through 
heading overseas and getting some information from us and then potentially contacting us afterwards and getting some more advice and taking that step to go overseas or whether it was by finding various different outfitters or finding public land that they could go and hunt on. We just were trying to educate, you know, the people that were struggling on what they could do. And then along came Chris Waters. Um, <laughs> and, and this thing popped up in my socials. And I'd sort of been watching some of your work for a little while because, you know, I, I like to watch Australian content as much as I can rather than, you know, normal TV. YouTube seems to be my favourite channel. Um, and you popped up with this crazy new idea that you were launching soon and you alluded to launching it soon so i kept an eye on it and then all of a sudden in the new year here it came and we'll, we'll talk a bit about it but essentially it is it's not the same as what mark and i are doing but it is another thing that the people that listen and that are listening to our podcast could attach themselves to and find more ways to get out there and go hunting so that's why i've invited you today chris to the podcast and we really uh, appreciate you taking the time at such short notice um, to join us. So thanks very much. No, my pleasure. My pleasure. So, so Chris, um, we'll just quickly talk about the overarching um, um, brand, I guess, that you've created, which is Hunting Trips Australia. Um, yeah. If you want to talk maybe just a, yeah, a little bit about that first and um, how it came to be and, and what it was doing um, for hunters. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll take it from there, right? Sure, sure. So, um, have a very similar goal to what you guys are doing. My, my goal is to connect Australian hunters with positive hunting experiences and with uh, mentors. Uh, I want to enrich that scene and that culture um, and encourage a positive attitude, uh, encourage uh, ethics, uh, as well as skill development. And so when I, I mean, I'm a website designer by trade. And so when I see problems and I'm, I think of solutions, I tend to think of them in terms of websites and things that people can use, digital tools. And so when I started looking at all the various outfitters in Australia, which we have a lot of, I found really mixed results in terms of how they're portraying themselves, um, how big or small their coverage is, uh, and how, how consistent their information is. So if you're wanting to go out for a hunt in, let's say, New Zealand, and you're wanting to hunt pigs, and you've got this certain price range, it's very difficult to go online at just using Google uh, to find that information. You have to do a lot of digging. And even when you find something that you think might be right, there's still a lot of work that you have to do in calling that person up and arranging things. And there's just a whole, a whole bunch of barriers in between hunters and hunting experiences through outfitters. And that's, that's given the fact that you know what an outfitter is and that you know that you can go out there and pay for a guided hunt as a service, as a professional service, because not everyone knows that. Like we take that for granted, but not everyone knows that. So given that there were the barriers, I thought about it more and more and thought, well, that's something I can help with. Like I can, I can create a tool, create a platform, call it Hunting Trips Australia. I'll spend the six months reaching out to all the outfitters, talking to them, building relationships, getting them on board so they can list their hunts on this platform I'll make it a free service because uh, I'm going to need volume and I want as many of them as I can. And then I'll make it a free service for hunters to use so they can jump on there and they can do exactly that. They can say, all right, I want to hunt. Let's see something else. Let's, I want to hunt red deer in Queensland with a bow. And my price range is, I don't know, let's say it's, I don't know, $500 for two days, punch it all in with accommodation. And it's like Airbnb. It just kind of returns all the listings that match that. And then you literally jump into the profile, have a read, have a look at the pictures, hear about what's included and what's not. And it's all consistent across hunt to hunt. Uh, and then you can contact them and you literally click contact that fitter and it sends an email directly to them. And I don't touch that email. I don't see that email. 
have nothing to do with it at that point. I've kind of just done my service of saying, hey, here's a person here who's interested. Hey, you've got a service and I connect the two um, and they go from there. And so that's uh, what Hunting Trips Australia is. And since I launched it um, about probably about four months ago, it's just gone crazy, insane, much bigger and much faster mm-hmm. than I thought um, because there's nothing else like it. And and hunt all the hunt well 99% of the hunters that I've spoken to because there's 1% that want to see the world burn but 99% of the hunters that I've spoken to have been like this is amazing I can't believe this didn't exist before what a great service and I'm seeing just incredibly positive engagement across the board and I look at the numbers and I'm just flabbergasted at how many people are using the platform to contact outfitters and I mean the the outfitters are now like getting booked out like years in advance which is which is just like I think a fantastic thing uh, because I think we've got some fantastic outfitters in the country who believe in what we believe in. They want to uh, see hunters learn. They want to give them access to property. They want to teach them, they want to train them. They want to help raise the next generation of hunters and influence their ethics. And so I'm all on board with connecting hunters with those Mm. people. And this is very altruistic. You're you're not you're not taking a fee from these people. You've just done this for a service to to help the hunting community. I will say I'm trying to find a way, uh-huh. <laughs> and we'll talk a bit about that in a second, I'm sure. But um, the, yeah. the the platform itself and the bulk of what I'm doing that that service is all free. Um, and so what I'm trying to do now is position myself with the secondary offering that can help release me to keep improving the platform and and the core dream. Uh, mm. That's amazing. And um, in terms of who's using it. Where are you finding the majority of um, the inquiries coming from? Is it a scattering across the country? Do you have property all around the country or is it yeah. fairly focused where you live because you know people? How have you got on finding? I sure. know, oh, sorry, and let me add another comment in there. I, I listened to your conversation with the AHP guys and um, it was a really great podcast that you did with them, but it was in its early days, um, you know, and you were talking about how. Um, you were contacting people and they were very sceptical and, you know, oh, too good to be true, bugger off, mate, you know, all of those sorts of things. Um, yeah. You've obviously progressed in four months pretty quickly. Um, yeah. You're getting a better reaction. Oh, there's a whole bunch of questions in there to answer, actually. So um, go um, for it, mate. Let me, let me ask you this question in return. Sure. The, the hunters that you know that have been hunting for a long time, have they changed their attitude in the last two, three years or four years, <laughs> I find I tend to find hunters and outfitters. We're a traditional bunch. Um, mm. We believe in old school values. We believe in relationships built over a long period of time, and we are, by our very nature, uh, skeptical and we like to isolate ourselves. Um, which I all think are really positive things that have negative consequences, but are positive things in themselves. Um, so. In terms of, let me let me go back and answer the question. So uh, in terms of the coverage uh, all across Australia, so there we have outfitters listed on the platform in every single state in Australia, um, including Tasmania, WA, NT. Obviously, um, most of the coverage that we have or most of the outfitters that exist, pretty much I'd say we have 95% of the outfitters in the country listed on the platform. Um, and you'll find most of them just go down the spine of like, Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria. That's where the bulk of hunting is. Um, some in South Australia, very little in WA. Um, Northern Territory also obviously has water buffalo and stuff like that. That tends to be the industry that's more focused around big game and is largely catered to the international market, which is dried up. And they're really having to pivot 
the way that they do things um, or, or die, unfortunately. Uh, and so there's that whole side of it. And then there's a few in Tasmania as well. Um, just some, some few guys doing stuff down there, mainly things like fallow and stuff like that. Um, mm. the occasional wallaby. And, um, but that's that in terms of, uh, have I seen, uh, a, an increase in reception? Um, it's funny. It's a, it's a real mixed bag because the one thing that I do track is the number of people that visit the pages and the number of inquiries that are made. I don't look at the contents of those inquiries. I don't even have access to the data, but I do see the number. And um, a couple of months, about a month ago, I decided that I would reach out to everyone on the platform and say, hey, just wanted to touch your base, um, see how you guys are going, see how you're going with the the inquiries that I'm sending you. Um, and like some of them, I've sent them like 60 inquiries, 60 leads, like, and and they have they don't didn't even respond. Like they're like, nothing radio science and it's like wow okay <laughs> you guys must be doing really well as a business to not even like not even bite the hand that feeds you but like just not even acknowledge and and have a conversation back so it's a real mixed bag a lot of there's a really core group of outfitters that just love the platform that are just happy with the relationship that are just all positive um a lot of those guys are the guys that are pivoting themselves um that are realizing that big trophy hunts um, that originally sustained them from an international market is a much smaller part of their portfolio now. And they're having to do things like meat hunts um, and do a lot more meat hunts to accommodate the changes in the market. And a lot of those new meat hunts um, are, are new hunters who are interested. Um, and so, yeah, the, it's the whole, I don't know about you, but I'm seeing the, the industry and the scene shifting quite rapidly. Mm. Um, and I guess I'm, wanting to create a platform that can help people um, ride that wave uh, and, and, and kind of weather the, the storm as such. Yeah, look, it's an interesting point you make about uh, the hunting, I suppose, mindset. Mm. Um, someone once described it to me or explained it to me and said that it's a competitive game. Yeah. Okay, it, it, it's competition. So, um, you know, it, 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 there's not much love in it because ultimately there's a competition. And um, I kind of think that that is very much a Queensland um, approach. And I found that um, whilst obviously exists in New South Wales and Victoria, it's much more of a Queensland approach because simply you are competing with someone for access. Yeah. So, you know, so it by its very nature breeds competition. You know, you, you, you've got it or and or you don't and someone else does and vice versa. And with the public land hunting in New South Wales and Victoria, I found that there's more of a, um, I suppose, a level of camaraderie. And, I, and I'm wondering if a lot of those outfitters, um, it'd be interesting to see where the ones who aren't as communicative, uh, communicative as others, where, where, where are they regionally based? Um, yeah. It's yeah. interesting. It's certainly, you know, I mean, if you're the guy run my own business, if someone gave me 60 leads, I'll be talking to them. Yeah. <laughs> we'd be talking. We would be talking. And if somebody uh, rang you and yes, said. We, we would be talking. We would be, yeah. we'd be having coffee. We'd be doing lots of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Some yeah. young fella from Victoria called you and said, I've built a platform and I want to advertise and I'm going to do it for free. Would you be skeptical first? Well, I would. Look, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Of course I would. I at, at that point, 
because you're skeptical of anything for free. That's and I mean, yeah. Look, I get it. I run a business, and I get I get that kind of stuff every day. And and you know, unfortunately, most of it is most of it is 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 suspiciously suspicious. You know, like uh, oh, look, I can help you with this, not but but certainly if I said oh well, okay, if there's no skin in the game, and I'm just going to sit here and, and away you go, and then over a few months, that equated to sixty leads. Which even if you think about it, even if I wasn't particularly good and I turned only ten percent, that's six new jobs. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I'd I'd be chatting to you. Yeah, and I mean, so a lot of these jobs. It's interesting. It's an interesting uh, observation of what's happening in that space. The yeah. other thing is too uh, the the idea of the um. I'm interested about this idea about you know meat hunt guiding or where where is that happening? Yeah, mostly most of the meat hunts are happening in uh, state on Victoria and New South Wales. Over there are a few crews that have uh, land, like Raptor Ridge, for instance. They offer a meat hunt. Um, and it's really, it's for them, I believe it's more, about, and I could be wrong, I don't want to put words in their mouth. Um, I believe it's more about gaining clientele, um, repeat customers that will then move on to the trophies um, after they've had a really positive experience. Because what those guys do is actually fantastic. They're actually really good at what they do a really high caliber service. So I don't believe they make a lot of profit. Um, and again, given they are on private land, they're eating into their numbers in terms of their stock, <laughs> what they have access to, um, which then, you know, breeds the trophies. So they need to be careful about that. Um, but yeah, that's mostly where where the meat hunts are happening in, in, in those places. Um, what I will say though about um, your point about uh, some you know, remaining disgruntled and skeptical and others coming on board and being excited. Uh, what I, in the new, new kind of venture that I've been working on recently, uh, which we'll talk about later, it's, it's a hunting club. And one of the things they offer in this hunting club is uh, giveaways of guided hunts from these outfitters that I've developed relationships with. And what's been really positive is when I put the word out there and said, hey, I'm making this, I'm going to start a hunting club. Um, I wanted to give as much value to the members as possible. One of the ways I'm doing that is to offer free guided hunts. Are you happy to contribute a giveaway? Had a whole bunch of them raise their hand. Um, and a lot of them um, really positive about the experience and wanting to give back, which is fantastic. So I will say that um, it's not it's not um, all doom and gloom. There's actually a lot of really positive. Impact. It's not doom and gloom at all. <laughs> I'm super <laughs> impressed with that. Yeah. You know, I've, I've thought about what you've been doing as as we led up to this conversation, and I had assumed that you'd taken a gamble on the membership base that you were going to get the funds that would come in, and you were going to prepay some of these offers too. Not and instead, you've actually got all of the support behind you from the outfitters, which is which yeah. is incredible. Well done. And four I'll, months. I will say. And I will say, um, Vince Ash, I'll give him a shout out um, and say that uh, when I initially approached him, um, I realized that maybe asking, I was, I was thinking I was asking too much of these people because I know that some of these hunts are like thousands of dollars. And so I said to them, um, maybe if you could just offer a meat hunt um, or even brand it as like a, a, like a training course that there's no guarantee of seeing deer or getting deer or whatever it is, pigs or whatever. Um, and he came in and said, no, he's like, I understand it costs money to make money and you've invested in me and invested in the platform. So I want to offer this big, I think it's like a red red stag trophy hunt um, that he's that he's offering as part of his um, Queensland, uh, Queensland Safari or Queensland Deer Safari. I can't remember what um, it's mm. branded as. But uh, yeah, like just overwhelmed because yeah, it, it given that I've been, 
you're offering this platform for free um, and not making any money, but it's taken a lot of my time. It's taken a good six months of my life um, calling all these outfitters, building the relationships, building the platform, um, marketing it. Uh, it's it's great to have people come behind me and say, you know what, like if I can help out in this way, I'll help out. I mean, it just speaks to that hunting spirit, hunting community that we love so much. Yeah, and I have to say, looking at the content and what you've put together, it's clear you have a background in marketing and in digital content creation because it is yeah. pretty schmick. Um, it's well-branded. It looks really great. It's easy to catch the attention. You go and have a look at you type in whatever it is you want to watch on YouTube to do with hunting, and yours stands out a mile away with its I'm colorblind, but I'm assuming it's a green you know, <laughs> side. Um, I recognize it instantly, and you've done a great job with it. And that flows through to um the australian huntsman well that's the youtube side of it yeah so um yeah. how long have you been running that channel prior to building hunting trips because did you have a mm. did you have a reasonable following around that and has that helped you you know get introductions to some of these guys or has this all really yeah. been in this short period of time yeah so um so i'll be completely honest with you guys i'll give you the inside scoop so Don't tell anyone I, yeah, exactly. Exactly. This is going to be edited out, right? Uh, no. Um, so six months ago, um, so I, uh, I've been working as a freelance designer for a number of years now. I actually own a digital agency, a website design agency that I sold, and then I stayed on as the director. And I've been moving towards this journey of slowing down and getting close to the land and the food that we eat with my wife and my young family. And so the goal um, for me has always been um, moving to that towards that lifestyle and hunting is a massive part of that. And I love hunting for that reason, because it enables me to do more of it. Um, and I originally started the YouTube channel because I had another channel. I was getting a bit annoyed. I was just getting tired of it. I've been doing it for a while and wasn't seeing a lot of growth. And I realized I'm like, why don't I do something for another passion that I have and I'll do hunting. And then, I mean, I thought eventually down the line, maybe I'll do, maybe I'll offer guided hunts. Um, Cause I'd like to do that in the future. Maybe, maybe that's something I can work towards doing guided hunts. Um, and so I thought, well, if I build a YouTube channel now, I can build an audience around um, just the passions that I have uh, for hunting and educating people. And um, and that can help you know feed that kind of creative desire that I have in myself. Uh, and then maybe I can use it in the future as like an app, an advertising platform, um, as like a side, like, a, you know, call to actions kind of for this, you know, outfitting thing. And so I started the YouTube channel and it started growing really, really quickly. And people started getting on board and really liking the content and a lot of people a lot of the audience of that channel is resonates just with, I guess, my personality, um, um, positivity, authenticity, all these things that I think I really value. And a lot of them resonate with that. And so um, that's why it's been growing so much. And it was, it was only a couple of months into having the channel that I had this epiphany about, you know, wanting to connect these hunters with great services. And that's when Hunting Trips Australia was birthed. And so they kind of came around at similar times and, the, the YouTube channel is primarily about uh, influencing positive hunting culture. That's its goal. Mm. Um, but at the same time, I do leverage the audience and their attention and, and do little short promos for Hunting Trips Australia as part of that. Um, and it's not, uh, it's just like, hey, while we're, while we're in this video, let me quickly tell you about this thing. 20 seconds. And I, and I really want to value people's time. And I really want to value the fact that they, most of them have jumped onto the channel not to see something else. They're not, they came to watch a hunting video. They came to be educated. They came to be entertained. So I don't want to, 
um, abuse that right or that privilege. But at the same time, my goal is to connect hunters with great hunting experiences. And so if I can kind of say, hey, here's something you might like, and it's not like a sleazy sales promo, it's something I legitimately think that you will like, why don't you go you check it out? So it's like the YouTube channel is like a, a very um, strong um, marketing arm for Hunting Trip Australia. They're separate, they're completely separate things, um, identities, uh, but they feed into each other. Yeah, but I think um, from what I've seen, uh, putting the Hunting Trips Australia, you know, um, little ad partway through or at the end of it and the things that you've done with that, it, it doesn't really take away too much from what you've done because your YouTube channel is not all about going and shooting something. No. You know, you've got very few videos actually of you going out and having successful hunts, probably because you haven't had the time yet to build all the content <laughs> and lots of stuff on really cool things that you should have a look at. A knife with a ring in it. No, the other way around. A ring with a knife in it. And, you know, knife, yeah. and you know, a conversation about, you know, um, whether you should shoot animals. You know, th there's lots of things yeah. that that you bring up that are not necessarily out there shooting an animal, but it's yeah. all the related things. And I think that your Hunting Trips Australia is a very related item to all of the things that you're talking about. So I don't think it takes it away. I don't think you need to be worried about that. But um, it's a it's a it's an interesting YouTube channel because it's interesting to hear that you say that you're trying to build a, you know, a, um, a respectful hunting culture within the channel because it comes across very fresh. Um, mm. it, almost the city guy that's going hunting rather than the country guy. And this is going to get taken completely the wrong way, but I looked at someone <laughs> live... up the other day and it was a dude standing over a, you know, an animal with a wound facing the camera and a smoke hanging out of his mouth. And it <sighs> just looked bad. And you think, holy, and then you flick over to old Fresh Chris Waters, you know, YouTube channel, and it's, you know, it's very respectful and polite and, you know, upbeat and happy. And, um, that, you know, I always, always sort of laugh at the grim photo of the of the kill, you know. We're all, yeah. I shot a deer. You know, here's yeah, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. well, different. Like, what, what's funny is that I, I legitimately am a country guy. Like, like I, live, I live in a small town um, in Victoria uh, and – and I made the move from the city um, because I didn't like those values. So it's interesting that, that I come across as a city guy. Maybe I still have a lot of city guy in me. I've got, I've got to burn that out. But um, yeah, it's it's funny, all of the different hunting subcultures that exist. Mm. Um, like you got your deer guys, um, you got your deer trophy guys, you got your your harvesters, you got your shooters who will just like shoot anything. The I'm... Um, I don't have a lot to do with the, the pig dog culture and I'm really interested in that. I don't fully understand it. And there's things in that culture that, that kind of uh, like, I go, Oh, that's like, that's like, it's hard to watch an animal. It's offensive, but it shouldn't be because I'm it a hunter. Be. Exactly. I'm the... And it's not necessarily that it shouldn't be. It's, it's that I, it's like, I don't feel like I understand this and I want to understand this. Um, and I want to find the similarities between the values that we share because we clearly do. Um, I think sometimes there's a bit of like, like you've said, there's a bit of a um, a marketing or branding issue with some guys that produce a lot of content in that they don't um, think about that and how it might come across. Whether that's the you know that guy who's having the, the cigarette, the fag, and he's sitting over a deer, like you know if you want to smoke that's awesome um and I'm, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing i'm not saying that's a good thing but it's like 
if you think like have a think about what that might look like and the in the image that that someone might perceive that i'm very conscious of how i'm perceived because i know that even being super sensitive and, and trying to be mindful about it that people still get the wrong idea yeah. all the time people all the time and so especially and you're on youtube you're like basically a poster boy for like go throw your darts like here's the dartboard shoot away like you that that's what you do when you jump on youtube and you need to be okay with that um and you need to be confident with the reasons why you made the decisions and think carefully about the decisions that you want to make because uh let the darts will come <laughs> yeah it, it's very true and look um you know the link between what you were talking about there is the idea of social license and influencing the social license um, of honey. Uh, you know, there's there's this argument that there's the legislative argument and there's the moral argument and there's the, the, the practical argument about, you know, food gathering and so on and so forth. But then there's this, this weird thing called social license, which is basically what is the wider society's license for you to operate what do they think about it and i think yeah. that reflects you know your video that you're putting together is going to have an effect on that it's going to and you know and it's either going to be positive or negative it's going to have an effect you're not going to be able to not have an effect so you've got to mm -hmm. think about what that effect and strangely enough somebody talks about this a lot is ned macon who is probably one of the best and well-known pig dog guys around and so he has he and his role within that organization and, and in that in that you know in in that industry or that that certainly that work that area he sits mm. he's given a great deal of thought about the social license of what you know of of dogging has and what it, and how to position it and so you know he's very he's very much about you know what you're going to do is is hard to look at mm. but you can portray it in a very positive way sure yeah it is because yeah. it is i mean look uh uh doggings you know it, it's serious stuff you know you, you it's it's quite visceral you're right there at the you know you're at the you're right there at the at the pointy <laughs> well no you know you're six <laughs> inches away from the pointy end type thing if you know what i mean yeah yeah, or twelve inches, depending on what, what what you're carrying. But you're right there at the pointy end, so that you you need to um, people are going to see that, and then there's no hiding from what you're gonna what they're going to see too. Um, yeah. And the interesting thing is too, it's unfortunately, you know, for a long time, no one would have thought that was there was anything wrong with that at all. It's only quite recent that there's a challenge to that. You know, that, oh, that's not necessarily a good thing. But you know, hunting with dogs is well, the, there's a pretty good chance that, you know, we used dogs to hunt before we, we had them in our beds. You know what I mean? There's a good chance. If you yeah. think about it, you know, <laughs> we, we probably were, were, they were more hunting and that, that was the dog for the like, the greater yeah. period of time of human interaction than, than you know, the, the labradoodle that has its own, you know, has its own cell phone that sits in your house type thing. That's, that's a new invention. Hunting mm. with dog is a very, very old invention. And so it's weird how that's shifted so much. And, I mean, the deer guys, unfortunately, suffered from that in Victoria, if I remember correctly. You know, they, they used to be able to um, hunt deer differently with dogs. Now, they, yeah. they certainly could still hound hunt. But the way that – and I think that all came down to a um, a, a, a video of, of, a you know, a dog at, uh, attacking a deer. Yeah. Um, 
think that's where it all came apart, you know, that that idea. And that was a dog that, you know, engaged with the deer rather than bailed or or yeah. drove a deer like what the hound guys do. But, I mean, for me, that what the hound guys do is 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 really, really something special. I'd really love mm-hmm. to be part of that. That you know, Impressive. Hunting with a dog is a really interesting thing. If you haven't ever done it, it's it's hard to explain. You know, there's a... Mm-hmm. I've hunted with my Labrador only a couple of times, and Ian hunts with a dog, and it's it, it's a very different thing to do. Um, and well, I wish I could do more of it, but um, I'm just not in a position to do it. What's beautiful about it, I think, because my brother, um, he hunts with a hound, and I hunt with him quite a lot up in the high country. And um, Misty, his hound, is just she's just beautiful, and she's incredibly intelligent, and she's a better hunter than me by, by far. So she um, uh... Is she a hound or as in, is she a bailer or is she an indicator? She's, uh, she's an indicator. So she's a pointer. Um, and she, uh, there's this beautiful, and I, like, I've only hunted with just her and and me a few times. Most of the time I'm hunting with my brother and she's tagging along. Um, well, I'm tagging along really because they're (laughs) they're hunting really well and I'm I'm trying to help. Uh, but, uh, there's this beautiful relationship where, because there's a, there's a relationship between the hunter and the prey that exists normally and this bond and this respect and this game that's played. And then you introduce like a third party, a partner in that. And then all of a sudden there's this really interesting, beautiful dynamic between you and your partner and reading the dog and respecting the dog and trusting the dog's decisions and trusting the dog will, especially with a pointer, not go crazy and just go jump on the deer like that it will help you and it will assist you until you're ready to take the shot um and then that that kind of trifecta of like relationships is established between all three of you um and it's it's like you you you've definitely experienced i'm sure guys but you take someone out hunting and you see them make their first kill and there's this really special moment that you get to experience and this joy that's almost like you get more joy seeing someone else make that kill and have that experience than taking the shot yourself and then every time that you hunt with the dog, um, you get to share in that the dog's enthusiasm. And um, like Misty, whenever a kill's made, like the you know the the dog points, you take the shot, and the deer runs off. And then you're like, go get her. And Misty's off like like a bullet, um, going after and tracking the blood. And then she'll find the deer. And then she's excited. She's all over the deer. She's jumping. She's kind of play blade biting its ears and just like just plucking it. Ecstatic. Yeah, yeah, licking up the blood and um, and it's just like you get to celebrate together uh, and that's a really special moment. Um, like regarding what you were saying about the picked mark, I think, I don't think any of us um, have an issue with the violence of what's occurring um, because the violence in itself is not necessarily a bad thing um, depending on, I mean, if it's sloppy and it's disrespectful, I'm sure that we definitely have an issue with that. But there is a level of violence that happens in any kill, um, whether it's deer or pig or goat or fox or rabbit, whatever it is, there's an element of violence that leads to death. Um, But it's being respectful uh, and understanding the relationship that exists between you and that animal and the cost. Um, And the issue is that for people creating content on YouTube, they're coming up with all of these different agendas and there's an adrenaline element and then there's a filming and technical element and then there's restrictions on getting the shots and, you know, but being present in the hunt. And there's all of these things that make it really difficult to maintain that balance between communicating 
the reality of what's happening and the values that are being demonstrated with the violence that's happening at the same time. And unfortunately, uh, like you said, that public license can, can really work against you if you're not careful in that space. And it's mm. difficult to be careful. It's a lot of work. Um, and you naturally spend all this time filming it and getting this kill and all you want to do is upload it because you're excited and you want people to see it and you want people to respond to it and engage with it. Um, and that can be a pitfall as well because like, no, no, you need to sit with this. You need to think carefully about how you edit this. You need to make sure that what happened is okay and that it's portrayed in the right way. Because again, there is 1% of the world that just want to see it burn regardless of whether you've worked really hard to portray it in the right way or not. Um, but um, there's also a lot of decent people that could be offended if you didn't portray it correctly. Mm. Yeah, it's, look, it's a good point. I mean, and the fact that, you know, there is that inherent violence involved in, I mean, by the name kill kind of gives it away, doesn't it? Um, but, and and I think for a lot of people, especially in, in the, the life that a lot of people live, they don't see that. Yeah. They're not in an environment where that happens often. So I think for a start, that can be quite confronting to a lot of people. Um, you know, that by its very nature. I mean, and if you, if you hunt and you're in any way successful, you've seen it firsthand. You know what, what, you know what happens. And I mean, and I think, you know, you know, there's those areas where it's kind of devolved away from that. I mean, fishing is a great example. You know, there's the catch and lease fishing culture um, yeah. is all pervasive now you know and so there's people who fish um only catch and lease don't ta ever take food for you know and 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 i think in a way at least some of them they're kind of kidding themselves they're kind of going well you know i'm putting it back in the water and and it floats away with its and air bladder it's email and it's going to find its dad and it's you know it's going to live happily after after whereas yeah Probably not. It's probably going to go down at the bottom, and another fish is going to snap it while it's, while it's, you know, while it's, while it's recovering. It's going to, or or it's not going to be a successful release anyway. Whereas, you know, what we do, there is no catch and release. You know, you have to make that decision, mm -hmm. and how that you portray, uh, portray that decision, and also the consequences of that decision, I think, is very, very important. In fact, it's probably yeah, yeah. the most important thing um, because that's what's going to be confronting to people. They're going to go, ooh. And, I mean, it's even like um, if you've ever had anyone who you've, you've had around firearms for the first time mm -hmm. and they, you know, they when they're used to seeing movies and then they hear it for real, they kind of go, oh, hang on, that's a lot more scary and loud and, you know, there's recoil and lots of noise and all sorts of things. Whereas, you know, I've seen it on TV and it's kind of quite controlled and so on. So I think yeah. that's with operating firearm, let alone operating it to, to, to take an animal. So I think that's really important that whatever you're doing, that portraying that or giving, not even portraying it, but giving consideration of how it will be portrayed is probably one of the most important things you can do. Yeah. We've talked about this before. I think with Andrew, we spoke about this a little bit about taking, this is Andrew Day, who we had on earlier, um, and we were talking about that um, that moment that you're with a hunter and it's their first time with an animal in their sights and they've got to make that decision for the first time in their life if that's what they want to yeah. do. 
And um, I think we spoke a little bit about, you know, how 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 much do you need to know that person before you take them into that experience? Um, because, you know, as a as a mentor and someone that takes these people out, um, you kind of want to know how they're going to react um, yeah. to a point, right? Because you're not their counsellor. You know, if things go slightly awry uh, <laughs> and things can happen, right? Uh, I'm not talking yeah. about dangerous things to yourself um, necessarily. I'm just talking about how people are going to react in that situation, then it can be quite interesting. And, you know, I, I know that, you know, uh, people in, in hunting clubs will take new members out and they'll spend a lot of time getting them into a position where they can take an animal and and, and that, that new shooter uh, opts out. And it can be yeah. incredibly frustrating for the mentor. So, you know, th there's all of those things to, to consider, I think, as well. And um, we've got this upcoming trip um, next week we leave. I've got um, a bunch of uh, people coming. Uh, there's six of us in total. And there are three fairly new hunters, and at least two of them I know have not yet taken the life of an animal. And we're yeah. gonna, and we, we've chosen this place. It's quite safe for us to do it. It's I've got some good people around us that can support those members, and that's the goal to help them through that process. And two of them have said they're not really sure how that's going to go for them in the yeah. moment, wow. right? One of them particularly, top bloke, really nice fella, has spent the last year going through shooting his first rifle, small calibers up to the next caliber and then up to a larger caliber, has purchased his first hunting rifle. He's taken a lot of advice and support from the group, and this will be his first outing. And um, I'm excited for him. I'm excited yeah. for me to be able to help him with that. Um, but, you know, you've got to put yourself in check as well and make sure that, you, you know, you give him that excellent experience that he's looking. Not that I'm a guide or anything like that, but, yeah. uh, you know, there's a whole lot of – you don't know how they're going to react, and there's a whole lot of respect that needs to go with it. So – uh, well, it's not just outwardsly on the YouTube side that you need to yeah. do that. It's it's in person with people as well. You've got to be careful with it because you build that um, that culture with them around them as as they're participating, right? Yeah. Well, I'm I'm curious as to whether this has always been a factor that's been at play with humanity and society, or whether this is a relatively new thing with the you know the kind of the birth of the modern age and everyone's interconnected and we have lots of social media and we're moving closer to you know mass production of meat and uh moving away from gathering and harvesting like i'm curious like was this an issue um in like the 1600s where were um you know i don't know men who were taken out for the first time hunting and uh shot an animal and were like oh like getting my hands dirty and they're inside the carcass and they're removing the like was this an issue then like i'm i'm curious if i, I don't know the answer um I'm, I'm wondering how much of this is just a human condition and the fact that death and violence are uncomfortable by their very nature uh, and that's just always something that human beings have struggled with or whether this is a relatively modern issue that's arisen from the fact that we're so far removed from the protein that we consume. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know the answer, but... Uh, I think Mark is going to be the most qualified person here to answer that. My, He's my, un my uneducated. Well, let me just get Andrew on the phone. Hang on a sec. We'll see if we can ring him in. Um, no, I, I mean, I, I, I think it's a modern issue. Yeah. Uh, you know, in, in a hunter gatherer society that we all were before, you would go through this daily. Mm. Um, I'm reading a book 
Uh, I've been reading a book for six months. I've been I've read lots of books, but one I've been reading for six months <laughs> called, called Sapiens. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's a it's a it's it's a brief history of mankind. It's a fascinating read um, that gets your mind going around how we've ended up in the situation that we are and the predictions of what we will become um, because of it. But he talks in one of the chapters. He talks about how we were the we were the happiest society mm. um, on record. When we were hunters and gatherers, when we were subsistence yeah. livers, when we went out every day and engaged our bodies and our brains to to get meat, to forage and do these sorts of things, right? And that's when we were happy, and that's when these things still mattered, but not like not like they are not not like they do now. You know, it's different yeah. now that people are putting more thought into it because they're removed from it. We became um, a lesser society um, when we learnt horticulture that revolution that came along and family a learned to grow potatoes and they grew them on mass and they lived on potatoes and they didn't have time to go and eat meat they just ate potatoes yep. and they might trade some but really they didn't engage their brains and their muscles and their 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 you know their human instinct to go and survive anymore someone else grew grapes and someone else grew pigs whatever but you get the point we lost all of that capability i'm really interested you go through this book and um you end up really thinking about how fast society is moving you know because all of these this technology age and all of the things that we live and breathe today they've only happened in the last couple of decades yeah yeah, yeah right your grandparents true. weren't doing this no no right and and i think being removed from everything is becoming a mental challenge for us yeah uh, or for those that don't participate mark in nature the idea of foraging is it only went out the window, you know, in the fifties. People still foraged then, you know, yeah. if not more. You know, you talk to anyone who lived through the pro uh, sorry, the depression, and they'll tell you that rabbits and and top knot pigeons is basically what got most of Australians through. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, uh, uh, when you look at you know, one of the so if you look at the United States and one of the reasons why they nearly ran out of animals, game animals, was because of the um of that that meat market. So, you know, places that you know new new places that were established um, at like for a gold rush or something like that, there would be miners, but there would be people who fed the miners, and there would be guys who went out and hunted and hunted. Yeah. You know that that deer or bear or whatever it is, and they would that was what the miners would eat. Someone would be out there literally doing that, going out and you know, and they're the people who basically nearly wiped out deer species because you know there was just too many people to feed with game animals. But I mm. think even as a miner, whilst you might not have been killing that, the way that you would have been, you would have seen the butchering and all that right in front of you. So, you know, yeah. you would have might have been one step away. And I think what's happened over time is that we've become, you know, we've kept on stepping away, if you know what I mean. Or, or yeah. I don't know if it's stepping back or stepping forward or whatever it is. Let's call <laughs> it stepping away. But you've stepped away. So, you know, like, you know, like coals don't even have butchers in the butcher shop in the coals. No. So there's <laughs> not even, so that meat, <laughs> that you get in coals is not even processed in coals anymore by someone who's, yeah. who's got a cut of meat, who's making it in a smaller cut of meat and wrapping it in a, in a plastic, you know. Plastic. When did that happen? That's only just happened. 
Carl's yeah. going to say because I've, I've spoken no, right. to the butchers at the supermarket. Yeah, it, it, it's only a new thing. They're, they're saying, yeah, we're getting rid of the butchers. So basically, wow. so that'll come in, you know, that'll come in. But um, when I was at uni, one of the one of the uh, one of the places that we went to for and for whatever reason, and I can't quietly explain you why. There was lots of pretend reasons they threw it up. We actually went to the abattoirs. Fantastic. What were you studying? Well, it was ostensibly health and safety. Psychology. But it was, it was an art. It was. It was psychology. <laughs> psychology. That's what I did. I did a psychology degree. <laughs> um, yeah. So ostensibly, it was about health and safety and about also automation. It was lots of things about automation and, and the way that they use machines to control workforces and all sorts of wonderful things like that. But we went there and, like, you know, they didn't take you into the kill room, but they took you in. You saw it come out dead mm. on the hook and then – you know, and it was like it was like some kind of evil mouse trap where you know animals went in, and it was almost like you know some kind of cartoon music would be going like, do, 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 do. And, you know, it just got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until it was in the box and it was gone, and that was the whole animal, you know. And they were doing that, you know, fifteen hundred head a day or something like that. Yeah. And so you know that within a very short time, I went from a cow, uh, you know, cattle on a truck to a something in a box. So, yeah. and and if I had never gone there, you know, and I was a, a person who had 100, I'd have no real concept of how that thing at Coles, that, you know, that, that piece of meat that I'm going to argue with, you know, that costs $89 a kilo and I'm going to get in a fist fight because I've cooked it for two and a half minutes as opposed to two minutes to 15 on side, that I would not have no idea how that went come you know from clarabelle to that would have been completely lost on me and i think one of the big indicators of that is the fact that we now celebrate eating and cooking mm. far more than we celebrate the provision of yeah. the food so you know master chef all of that stuff is about eating consuming none of it's about you know it's you know oh look at this wonderful you know how do you do this none of it's about oh how did i get that piece of meat or how did i mm. get that you know the the spinach or this fennel or whatever it is that i'm you know i'm i'm outrageously overproducing none of it's about that it's all about how to consume it and i like to say when you go to the cave paintings or you look at the cave paintings it's never about – there's no cave painting of, like, 12 cavemen sitting around while another caveman's in the tossing middle. Tossing the salad. Cave, tossing, <laughs> tossing the salad. You know, it's not about that. It's never no, about the It's the celebration of the hunt, isn't it? It's, it's, yeah. it's about the animal. Yep. It's about this thing that is so mystical to you yeah. and about your pursuit of it. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. never like, you know, there's never like a picture of this, you know, like – the last supper type thing of, of cavemen all around, you know, kind of, you know, throwing in, you know, like doing all this stuff and all that stuff. None of that. There's also no pictures of fat cavemen. <laughs> well, that's, that's all pretty look, lean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Real, oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, what I think and then, is... Like, five days and you realise, you know, yeah, you know, you can eat fat, you can eat yeah. liver, whatever you want, because, yeah, you know, yeah. you, the, the input-output ratio is certainly on the right side of the scales now. It's not like, oh, I, you know, I can't touch that. That's a bit of a fatty cut. No, you want that in you. And, I mean, that if you ever watch meat eating, you know, that's one of the yeah. big talks about, the fact that, you know, all these mountain men, they ate, they went for the fattiest 
mm. because that's where the where where you know that's where the nutrients are. Mm. I think the greatest travesty um, that not a lot of people talk about is that we. I mean, it's going to what you were saying, Ian, as well as the human um, condition and where we are and where, and where we're going. The, this, the really sad thing, the real travesty is that we're all advocates for going out and harvesting meat. Uh, I mean, we raise pigs at our property and we very, very, very rarely buy meat. Um, we, we've got just freezers full of deer and pigs and stuff and chickens. Um, if we had our way, um, like the three of us, uh, and we increased the amount of people who were harvesting wild game, we would get to the point where there's no wild game left. Like Correct. the amount of human beings and the, and the size of the human population is we, we can't actually sustain what we've got in the wild. So if you took every single person on the planet and you, and my, my wife and I joke about this quite often, we talk about the supermarket apocalypse would be like our favorite apocalypse, like just a really localized one where all the supermarkets just explode and then everyone has to figure out what to do. And like, there's no zombies or anything. It's no like Jesus coming back. It's oh, literally just on. like zombies. The super- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm a fan of the zombies. Of the zombies. zombies. Something to shoot at. Um, but no, uh, so so it's just as if Mike has gone. If that happened, we would destroy the earth. Um, we would just destroy every living thing because we're so accustomed to eating the amount of meat that we do eat. Um, and if people were motivated enough to get off their butts and go out and harvest it, um, I, we, would, we, we would just like destroy everything. So we're in this really sad position at the moment where we're wanting to encourage this activity. Um, wanting people to go out there and especially in places like New South Wales and Victoria, where you have access to public land, it's like go out there and harvest deer and harvest pigs and all these different things. But there's this balance between the resource that's available, um, the politics that go into governing that resource uh, and the amount of people that can actually do that successfully. Like that's a finite amount. And I don't know where we are on that scale. You hear people say that there's no deer around. I can't seem to find deer. And yet people are saying, oh my goodness, the deer are everywhere. We need more hunters killing them. Like, it's just hard to know. You look, what I would say to that, and that is certainly a very compelling argument because from a face value, it, it is, it's true. Like not everyone in Australia, you couldn't, that's right. If you want to get rid of the deer, you just say, look, everyone go out and shoot a deer and there'd be no deer left, literally, you know, we, we'd take us a couple of years and we'd get them all. Yeah, a lot of hungry people, Mark. That's right. But what I'm, but, but I think what the argument is, and that that's the idea that, you know, hunting by itself has to be selective because you want to have a future of hunting. So, and that's why when people say, oh, hunters just like to kill everything, you go, well, no, in fact, I don't. If I wanted to kill everything, I wouldn't be spending all this money because, you know, I want this to continue. So yeah. you don't want to kill everything. But what, that that what I would say is the challenge to that apocalypse or that that idea that you know you can't have everyone hunting because of that. I don't. I think the answer is everyone doesn't have to hunt. Yeah. But if sure. everyone participated mm-hmm. at some level mm-hmm. in the production of their own food, mm-hmm. so even if that means if you live in an inner city apartment, you've got a flower box that you grow fennel in. Mm. Or you, or you hunt, or you do this, or you fish, or you even go to the fish markets and see the fish. If you, if we, ch- I think that is the balance point. So it doesn't yeah. have to be this consumption model. It has to be a, I, and I think that's the 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 model is a consumption model. I think it has to move from a consumption model to a participation model. That yeah, word comes up point. all the time. 
doesn't it? Participation. Yeah. It's a, a participation model. You've got to say, you know what? Mm. I'm going to grow a tomato plant. You know, now mm. I don't expect that this will replace my purchasing of tomatoes for the rest of my life. It might not even, you know, replace, you know, a, a season. But what I'm going to mm. do is I'm going to grow something or I'm going to yeah. fish or I'm going to hunt or I'm going to do something. And I mm. think if we had more of that, we would have a lot better balance about that. Or, look, I'm even going to go out and pick my own strawberries mm. or, you know, that kind of thing. I think the 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 idea of some participation in your food is really important. Mm. I think I really think I think it is a great point. I think it's um, something that needs to be considered more. Um, I drive past um, Australia's food bowl on my way to um, my city office in Brisbane from time to time. And this is the Lockyer Valley and it's where a lot of the green produce is produced for Coles and Woolworths. Um, you know, I'm talking thousands of acres of broccoli and thousands mm. of acres of cauliflower. Have you ever tried to grow those things? I couldn't yeah. grow four of them. I, you know, <laughs> you know, you go to what you go to, uh, Bunnings, and you go and pick yourself a punnet of these, and you put them in your garden. You're probably doing better than I am, Chris, because you're moving to this sort of lifestyle. But you know, certainly a lot of us had a crack at it during COVID when we got locked into homes, and you know, Bunnings was sold out of all of the fresh produce, and we were, you know, participants in that. Um, we yeah. went and stocked our gardens up. We were already growing stuff, but then I had to wait for it. Yeah, for That's a really what? good point. Four months before I could harvest a, a single broccoli head. So, you know, gangly broccoli, this pathetic looking thing. And, you know, old mate down the road, he's got thousands of acres of broccolis and every one of them perfect. He understands what he's doing, of course, and there's a whole bunch of things that go into that. I get it. But participating like Mark's talking about uh, probably allows you to value food even more than you ever have done because you realize how hard and how much thought. And it's the same with hunting. The effort that goes into taking that goat or taking that deer you know, we talked about this um, with others as well. Every time you plate a piece of that up, you know, you pull it out of the freezer and it's got the date and the animal and, you know, potentially where you got it from. That's how I package mine up and throw them in the freezer. It mm. comes out and I and I can remember the hunt and I remember what it was and it's going to be a discussion with your friends when it's at a barbecue and those sorts of things. But you certainly appreciate how much effort goes into it. Uh, mm. And you'll do this with your pigs. You know, giving a, giving a pig away to one of your family members for the price it costs you to raise it. I think I heard in uh, in a, a chat that you had, um, you know, you could buy it at Coles for the same amount, oh, but yeah. it's a different pig yeah. and it's a different yeah. process and you're not connected to it. And uh, yeah. yeah, it's, it's I think a great, you raise a, a great point in that there's the, in the participation model, there is a buffer that protects the, the animals. Uh, because like you said, that there is time that has to go into it and there is a success rate that has to go into it, whether it's growing broccoli or harvesting a, a deer. Um, and that, that failure rate, I guess, is Mother Nature's way of, of, of protecting herself. And so deer are really smart. <laughs> Samba huh. are like ghosts. Like they just, you see them and then they evaporate and you don't even hear them, but they're like a 230 kilo deer running full speed through the bush on the same, you know, crunchy material that you're walking on and you don't hear them. Um, and so I guess if the if there was a supermarket apocalypse and it did go down to a participation model, I think you're right that there would be this natural buffer that um, even the people who are participating would help 
protect and it already does uh, with the people who are so yeah great points yeah thank look, you for thank you for finding the name for our podcast by the way yeah, the supermarket Mark. apocalypse will be it mean, like i'll give you an example we a couple of years ago it's actually more than a couple because we had a my wife's um, family out from england so that you know god that was 2018 maybe yeah. maybe before um went to a friend's place for christmas and on the menu was a pig that we had shot Okay. Nice. Now, I did not realise that everyone hated eating that old tough old boar because I thought <laughs> I was eating pure honey. I thought this is like, oh, this is, this is the most yeah. tasty meal I ever. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And uh, and it was simply because <laughs> I saw it. You know, I was I yeah. saw that whole process. You couldn't yeah. not like it. Yeah, Your brain would have literally like you know people. It's the same like gangly bit know, of broccoli. You're like, oh, what a beautiful broccoli. I know. I, <laughs> I realized how much people disliked it because it was you know they said oh it was so tough and chewy and all, and I thought what is like yeah. was it the same party where you know was is it a different place? But it's right, right? It, you know the, the the link between the food was just it was just it was an immediate link between the food. If yeah. you went and picked up an apple at Coles that had a bug hole in it, you'd put it back and go for another one. <laughs> yeah. You'll cut it. You'll cut around that. If, if oh yeah, it mate, like no problems tomatoes, If they got a little thing, I just spit yeah, that out. And just no way it. are you going to do that at Coles. Oh yeah. No All right. Well, that's great. Okay. Well, um, here we are. Um, uh, I told you that this would go on. Um, it doesn't take long to to cover a couple of hours. Um, we're uh, a little way through that now, and we haven't yet touched on. Um, the Hunting Trips Australia's Hunting Club. So I want to draw all of our attention to that um, because we've got people that will be listening to this that know they listen in for new opportunities and things to go and research and do. So let's talk about that. So you've done your YouTube thing, The Australian Huntsman. People will go and find you and have a look at the city hunter that we uh, talk about, even though you're from the country. But this fresh face of hunting, which is uh, yeah. which is quite good. So you've done that. Um, you've had four or five months now of Hunting Trips Australia that's been a great success and it will grow. I'm sure it will grow and more people will understand it. And um, look, there are outfitters that we know that we're going to point in your direction and hopefully they can land on your page. And uh, I'd like more and more opportunities out of Queensland to go on there. And um, I know I went on there and had a quick scan in the filters and I was able to find some. So um, we'll have a look at what that can drum up for us in our spare time. Uh, when we need to find another hunt. Um, there are still a few around for us uh, poor Queenslanders that can't hunt on public land. There are ways <laughs> of getting your fill. Um, the, the, the year is absolutely jam-packed uh, already, so um, that's, it's okay, but it could be better. Um, so then um, the new thing that you've launched in, the new, well, in this new year, literally only a couple of weeks ago, if not only a week ago, is mm. what I thought was called the new hunting club australia um, it has two different versions of names but essentially it's the hunting club attached to hunting trips australia tell us about that tell us about yeah that. so um i i mean i've been i've been not struggling but i mean putting all this effort into building this platform to connect hunters and i want to move move personally move and position myself to do that more um and be released to do that more and so 
to do that, you need to have money. You need to have revenue. And so I thought, well, what's, what's something that I can do? What do I have at my fingertips? Um, access that I have, relationships that I've developed, uh, that I can pull together to bring something of value to people that people want to buy um, or support that can enable me to do this more um, so that we can continue to see positive hunting culture spread through this country. And uh, there's some fantastic people that I have in my life uh, that uh, through meeting through various hunting things, Facebook groups and stuff that share the same values. Um, and one of them is Phil from the HSSA, Hunters and Shooters Association. Uh, uh, sorry, Hunters Sporting Shooters Association uh, or some configuration of that. Uh, and he, we were having a conversation and uh, just brainstorming ideas and he really got me onto the idea of a hunting club and using these relationships I have with outfitters um, to pull value in and offer free guided hunts as part of this club, uh, leveraging the relationships that I have with retailers, uh, hunting trip uh, product providers uh, through from the huntsman and all these various things, uh, the YouTube channel access to content to pull it all together in a uh, hunting club and platform. And so that's what I've done um, and spent a lot of time building it into the platform and wanting to make it fresh and wanting to do things a little bit differently um, than some of the other bigger clubs out there, uh, wanting to be as personable and authentic as possible, as well as having a platform that provides as much value as possible because I've done a lot of research out there and they seem to be clubs that are really, really heavy on the insurance and genuine reason. And that's kind of why they exist. And then you have some clubs that are all about the social stuff. And then you have some clubs that are literally just like a subscription to get free stuff or the chance to win free stuff. Um, and I think that individually they, they miss a large um, part of what it's all about. And so I wanted to kind of pull everything together and provide a club that had value for people um, and offer it at a monthly rate um, for people as well. So that's what the club is. And it's virtual. So at the moment, it's virtual, yeah. So what I, there is a, a camp that I'll be running in October uh, that you can come to, uh, and that will be the first kind of in-person thing. Uh, but I'm wanting to – I'm thinking as well about having some gatherings and meets, informal things um, throughout the year, and I'm trying to lock, lock them down too because what I, what I want to avoid is it just being a digital thing. Uh, and I know that there's a it's – really tempting to do that you can make a lot more money it's a lot less effort to do that um and that's where people naturally just land nowadays given that we're all working from home or everything's very very digital but i even though i'm an isolationist by nature i prefer to be alone that's when i'm energized um i see the value especially in hunting and with communities of meeting together having face-to-face -face conversations having a beer having a laugh sharing stories sharing life together. And so I want to make sure there's as much of that as possible. So um, that's something that I'm wanting to build into the the club as it grows. And uh, you talk about value that's packed into the membership. I noticed there's three layers of membership. Do you want to yeah. talk us through those? You got them off yeah. the top of your head or you didn't need to pull up a website? Well, maybe, how about I try and go off the top of my head and if you have a website, you can correct me. <laughs> yeah, good. Uh, let's go. This is nearly accurate. Let's go. This, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> nearly. Uh, so there's a basic tier, uh, which is uh, $9.99 a month uh, if you want to go monthly. If you go yearly and pay for a whole year in one installment, you get $9.99 off it. Uh, and that includes uh, your membership as access to the dashboard, access to various discounts with 
uh, online hunting stores. So at the moment, we've got Hunter's Warehouse in there. We've got Bush Edge in there who are fantastic. I've, this is yet to be announced, but hey, you'll get, you'll get the drop on this. Um, uh, Blackfoot, uh, who are just make amazing, um, like, and I'm not even just spruiking this and pumping up the tires because it's on the platform, but they make amazing custom hunting gear, custom camo, literally stitched and cut out. And like in, in New South Wales, like one guy doing it from his shed, but like really good. And he's jumping on board. Um, there's courses, uh, you can like our license through HSSA. There's uh, Wally who has uh, naturally sufficient, which is like a holistic lifestyle uh type um courses around permaculture and hunting and harvesting and stuff like that so there's a whole lot of stuff there's that you get early access to the huntsman content uh on youtube so you get a week in advance before anyone else sees it in the public and you also get uh what else there's one more thing oh, an invitation to the camp um plus some resources and stuff too so you can go and there's just some things like um pre-hunt <clears throat> checklist you can get um there's a, like targets you can download visiting your rifle stuff like that um, and that's is it, the first it's thing. listed as an AHO. It's a it's a genuine reason to have your firearms license. This club, the, not in the first tier, in the second and third tier. So yeah, right. so hunting, so the insurance and the genuine reason is provided in collaboration with HSSA, uh, which is the registered hunting organisation. Yeah. So uh, so that's it's so the second tiers are actually a combined membership where you get a membership with Hunting Trips Australia and the HSSA, um, and they are the body that provides those those services. Um, right. And so that's the second one. And that's the, the major difference between the first tier and the second tier is the inclusion of the insurance, uh, public liability insurance up to $20 million, as well as the uh, genuine reason to own a firearm in Victoria, in Queensland and in New South Wales, subject to having an R license. And then right. there's a, a third tier. Uh, so it includes the second tier includes all the first and those things. And then the third tier basically includes discounts of selected hunts on the website on Hunting Trips Australia that for those outfitters that have decided to participate in that, as well as a monthly, uh, uh, sorry, bi-monthly guided hunt that's given away. Um, and that's included in the premium, the platinum tier, which is the last one. Uh, and the middle tier actually also has products that are given away every month as well. Yeah, so $9? $9, $19.99 cool. uh, for the second one, and the third one is $29.99. And what's been really encouraging is that like just because I've worked in digital and web and advertising for so many years, you like just classically, and this maybe Mark, you'll appreciate the psychology of this, but you put three tiers in a row. Everyone always chooses the middle tier traditionally, just because it's like, it's not even has nothing to do with money. has nothing to do with value. It's just like, give me three things. I'll take the middle one. Thank you. Um, but what's been really encouraging is that um, over this week where, which is the first week that it's launched, most people have been buying the highest tier, which is for me, that's really encouraging. Um, You've got giveaway guided hunts once a month. That's 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 value. That's great that, value. That that is value. Yeah. yeah. And if I'd love to it. see if you want to add this into your uh, your uh, agenda for the the muster or the get together. It'd yeah. be great to see a presentation of the successes of those hunts and how they went. Yeah, you know, that's a great point. Because that yeah. you know, you're going to have twelve odd people going out there with well known outfitters having yeah. the time of their life, like the experience of their life. It will be amazing. Yeah. What a great offer. Yeah. It's really, Get and, it now yeah. is what I say before the membership <laughs> grows too big. Yeah, well, I've wanted to say that, but I've been like, I don't I don't want to say that the same You time. don't want to say that. I'm saying that. But. Yeah, you definitely should. Yeah, you definitely yeah. should. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. And um, 
in terms of um, your aspirations for how this grows, obviously as many people and as many outfitters as you can possibly get, but you know, you've you've put some thought into how that might look in 12 months. Yeah, I've got, I'm already, like I've just said, I'm already having conversations with um, other retailers to get them on board um, to offer discounts. I'm already having conversations with other guides um, to get them on board to offer guided hunts, not just in the future, but also maybe cramming more into this year. Um, I'm just, I'm spending a lot of time investing in this club and pushing value into it. And I want to keep pushing. What I don't want to do is just set and forget and be like, all right, I built this platform that's largely automated um, and largely digital at the moment. And like, see you later, go, go make me some money. I, I want to continually put stuff into it um, because I, yeah, I, I, I want it to, I want it to be successful and I want it, people to enjoy it. I want people to get something out of it. Um, I don't want it to become a crusty, bureaucratic, political, slow moving body that is, that's faceless and just takes your membership. Um, yeah, I don't want that. <laughs> Maybe explain the chuckling. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's, that's, that's generally what a card is. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and it, but the thing is, it doesn't have to be. That's no, the it issue. And, no, it doesn't. No, I, and, um, yes. And you've I, got guys like yourself. This is what's tragic. And this is one of the reasons why I want to start the club is because you've got guys like yourself who are really passionate about connecting hunters, really passionate about hunting ethically, really passionate about mentoring, really passionate about all the things that we love about hunting that we want to see about hunting. And you get those people together and you form an incorporated body or an association or whatever it is, and you grow a business and it gets successful and people, there's like resonance and authenticity and people are really enjoying it. And then it gets to the point where it's making so much money and its claws are so vast and its influence is so vast that it ceases to become effective and it ceases to become personable and it loses the very heart of it. Um, but within it, there are, it's packed full of individuals who are passionate um, but it just becomes so complicated. It gets hard. It's hard to, to do anything. Um, and I don't know. I don't, I don't want that for this club. I don't want that to happen to this club. Um, I, I, I don't know how to prevent it yet, um, but um, I'm happy to learn lessons along the way. Mm, it is. Look, that, that, is a, that is a challenge of any organisation. Um, yeah. You, um, you know. That is a challenge. You tend to move towards bureaucracy, and there's reasons for it. You know, you you have to have a level of bureaucracy. Yeah. You know, yeah. people need to. If someone contacts you, they need to be responded to. You know, that type of things. These things, there is a sense to it. But certainly, um, I've been involved, uh, not in in the hunting side of things. I must admit, in the shooting side of things, I've mm. been involved in in clubs that you've described quite accurately <laughs> over the years. <laughs> Let yeah. me go on record by saying that I think, and I'll, I'll, I'll lean in, I think the ADA is fantastic. Um, I, I have great respect for the ADA. Um, yeah, they've done, a, they've, they've, they've done a lot of work to change themselves from the, prefer, the previous description to a more modern organisation that supports the members. There's no doubt about that. It's got yeah. a ways to go and, you know, it's made up of a lot of parts. Um, lots of different branches and lots of different areas, and they all, you know, a bit different. But they they are trying very hard, I think, too. To I think one of the one of the strengths of what you're doing is, and if we kind of look more globally at, at some of the challenges of hunting clubs, is as soon as you cross borders, as in state borders, then you get you get into really it gets con it gets yeah. complicated because yeah. all of a sudden rules 
different rules apply. So you can have a very, very successful localized hunting club, you know, and there's a there's a there's a number of them where they're all within the same state boundary. So everyone's playing on the same rules. Everyone's getting the same opportunities or or, or the ability to, to access the same opportunities. And then it's up to the individual to pursue those opportunities. As soon as you cross state boundaries, you get into a wholly different type of situation. Yeah. And, you know, and and you know, that's one of the challenges of any club that stretches across the boundaries because you've got a membership um, who have work in a different environment you know that they, yeah. they their idea of hunting is completely different there's different rules so yeah. i suppose with what what you're doing at least the fact that you know there's a there's a hunting opportunity that's not necessarily state-based is actually going to be attractive to some people because it can it, if you're in wa or wherever it is you can still have the same opportunity as someone else. It's not it's not state based opportunity, which is is really the great arm wrestle is the state based opportunity yeah. and the fact that yeah. it's so different. And you know, and and you know, for and one of the reasons why we started this podcast was, um, you know, for many of us, we hunt more interstate than we do intrastate. Mm. You know, we cross that border to go hunting, and then you know, and for a lot of us, uh, you know, the clock starts ticking once you cross the border. So you know, it's three hours, and then I'm, and now I'm, and now I'm going somewhere. You know, so yeah. Whereas, uh, you know, that doesn't necessarily ex- happen if you if if you're localized. Um, I like the idea of what you're doing is uh, offering that opportunity without having those, you know, or, or at least trying to figure out a way to get around those boundaries that stop people yeah. from having. You know, and one of the things that we promote is, is, is you know, whilst it's a, it's a hassle to go to New South Wales, you will get hunting app, you will get hunting access if you have an R license and you cross the border. You will get it. Um, how yeah. successful it will be will will help you try to be successful, but if you do that, you'll get access. Um, it it exists. So yeah. I, I I quite like the fact that there is an, an there's an opportunity for people to get an equal level of access or you know, or as equal as you can make it. Yeah, and I, it's one of the great benefits of the the digital age is that it makes everything very very flat um, for good and for bad. Um, and I and I, I know that lots of clubs are trying to pivot and take advantage of this. I guess um, I'm wanting it to be part of the, a part of the DNA of this club right from the outset is that it is a very flat membership and everyone does, is on the same level. And in some ways there are state lines, and in other ways there's there's not at all. Um, because everyone's just part of the same club and it's not a Victorian club. It's not a New South Wales club. Now there's, it has restrictions on what it can provide in terms of genuine reason in the States that it yeah. has access to, but that's more of a, <clears throat> that has less to do with the club and more to do with um, applications that are in process and already <clears throat> um, there's things underway to, uh, to extend the reach of that, uh, to inc- include more States. Uh, so yeah, it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Good luck with that, and hopefully you'll incorporate some New Zealand and other overseas opportunities into the uh, the monthly draws um, for for those that are part of it. So that'll be really good. Yeah, um, like British Columbia would be nice. Oh yeah, <laughs> Alaska. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's it's a neighbour sort of go the other way. Um, yeah, <laughs> forget New Zealand for a second. It's that's a neighbour. Yeah. Um. All good. Okay. So, um, hunting trips australia.com.au yeah no hunting trip no no no, hunting trips.com.au 
huntingtrips.com.au gets you to yeah. the page and yeah. you will find links to the club there or has the club got its own domain? No, no, that's, that's the same place for the club. So the website is huntingtrips.com.au and then huntingtrips.com.au slash membership is where you go to see the club. Excellent. Okay, we'll post those links on here so that people aren't as confused as me. Um, <laughs> and um, I think that's been awesome. Um, also, I'll post the links to your Australian Huntsman YouTube page so people can find you there and it'll um, allow nice. people to understand who you are and why you're doing what you do. I think um, what I've taken away from this evening is um, we've we've sort of got to know a little bit more about the guy that's pulling this together for everyone. So appreciate that. It wasn't just a conversation about um, the clubs and, and the things you're doing, but, you know, I like the, the general chit-chat as well. It gives us a bit more of a uh, an idea about who you are. So um, appreciate you participating in that. Thank you for uh, letting me come on. No, no, it's, it's great, Chris. Before we let you go, um, outside of all of that, What's on your personal hunting agenda for 2022? Do you have one or is this just absorbing your life? And hopefully you'll get to no. show up to all of these um, giveaway hunts and see how people think. <laughs> is that what's going to happen? Yeah. Unfortunately, no, I won't be going on the giveaway hunts. Um, but I, I made a commitment to the audience of the YouTube channel that I wanted to do more um, hunts, film more hunts and go out and do more hunts. Um, and because while I love doing the other stuff as well, I know that there's a there's a um, a taste for that, and people really enjoy the kind of dynamic nature of that. And so I'm already a whole, a whole bunch of hunts lined up with a whole bunch of outfitters um, in Victoria mostly, but some in New South Wales as well um, that I'm really excited about doing. Uh, and what's been amazing and what's been really exciting for me is again I'm an isolated I'm, I'm a person who thrives in, on my isolation in my own space. But the websites it's not the website the, the YouTube channel has been great in that it's forcing people at me people like emailing saying hey chris i live in blah 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 blah. do you want to come out for a hunt with me and my like immediate instinct is like no i like my own space i want to sit home and read a book or whatever <laughs> <laughs> go away so, but like but, but the part who of me are that, you what do you want <laughs> yeah, but the part of me that knows better goes no chris that's a fantastic opportunity to connect with someone it's good for you it's good for them go do it so um i've got a bunch of hunts lined up with people from the community um, I'm literally, uh, not tomorrow, but on, uh, Friday. So it's Wednesday currently Friday. I'm going and doing a red deer hunt, um, in Northern Vic. Uh, and I'm really excited about that with someone I've never met before. And, uh, I'm literally going to drive up there. I'm going to leave at four o'clock in the morning and I'm going to meet him in the dark and be like, Hey, how you going, Rob? I'm Chris. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me on this hunt. And we're gonna and we're gonna hunt red. I've seen um, this movie on this property. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm gonna film it too. So it's just gonna True. like I'm excited for it. Well, make um, sure you live stream it so we all know where you end up, right? Yeah, so you can find the body. Sure. Yeah, that's right. I'm sure it'll be absolutely <laughs> fine. Um, Rob, no, I'm sure no you're crazies, a fantastic guy. No crazy social this. media. Yeah, no, no, Rob's gonna be great. I'm confident. Rob, please don't watch this. Oh, that's awesome i don't right, even well, know rob and i'm defending him already yeah you know it's hilarious how, how we uh strike up relationships <laughs> like that with people we don't know uh, but that's really good uh mark did you have anything you wanted to close with no, no look it, it's a, it's been a great conversation to, though to your story about rob i did that in england in well in wales no not no wales in in yorkshire so i've done that i was like oh we're meeting these guides <laughs> at this car park in the dark, in winter, in another country. Oh, okay, sure. Does anyone know who, does anyone, yeah, yeah, I'm in one. Oh, okay, so, you know, it's not like we're going to be just going, hello, are you a hunting guide? 
So yeah, that, yeah. Uh, uh, anyway, I'll be, the, I'll be the guy in camo or olive or whatever. Yeah. Can I uh, can I share this story to close off? Because yeah, I'm go for it. Of your time, but um, no, no, you're right. Um, I've done a lot of work over the years with non for profits. Um, and uh, there was one particular non for profit that I did for work for when I was probably uh, 18, 19 years old, and I was doing some volunteer work. And we were going out to um, Lawn uh, near uh, near where Geelong is on the coast during schoolies, and we were helping support the schoolies, the schoolie of the Year Twelves who were out partying at the end of the year, making sure that they had access to water, um, making sure that everyone was safe. And so we were going out and we were doing that, and uh, th- so it attracted a lot of young volunteers. And we were all um, housed in this single house, and so we're all sharing rooms and getting to know each other. And um, there's this story about one of my mates who was in this room that was allocated to him and it was called the princess room. And we're like, why is it called the princess room? And it's this beautiful, big, pink, opulent bed with these mm. kind of like sheer curtains kind of going up to the ceiling. And it was just like, and, and he was in this bed and he was allocated this bed. There was another guy who was supposed to stay in the same room um, and be on this like sofa on the side of, of, of the room. And his name was Pete. And, but Pete was coming later that night. And so we all did the work. We were, you know, looking after these schoolies. And then we all go back to the house and we hop into bed at like two o'clock in the morning. And my mate's in the bed just sleeping. And then he wakes up about four in the morning and there's a tap on his shoulder. And the guy's like, hi, I'm Pete. And he's like, hi, hi, Pete. And then Pete just undresses, gets down to his jocks and slides into the bed next to him. He's like, all right, good night. Like, Didn't have wow, time to okay. say the couch is yours, champ. Yeah, we're like, okay, we're strangers meeting in the night in our jocks in a bed. Uh, yes, I'm, I'm sure it's happened <laughs> more than once. But you'll be safe. You're, you're the next person doing this in the world that we're aware of. So um, be safe. <laughs> yeah. We'll see you yeah. on a we'll, we'll see you on a yeah, a red deer success. Mm, yeah, keen to see that yeah, one. Yeah, hopefully, um, some big reds down there. And if you want early access, uh, join the club, and you'll get it before the rest of the world. Um, mate, awesome talking to you. Thank you very much for your time. It's been a great conversation. All the best with it. And uh, I'm sure we'll stay in touch. Thank you, guys. See ya. See Thanks, you later. Mate.